It's October 29, 1986, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was on this day that, amid huge fanfare, the then-British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher opened a circular motorway that stretched all the way around London, which came to be almost as divisive as the Iron Lady herself, and that motorway was the M25. Yeah, you say huge fanfare. I mean, I've seen the footage of Margaret Thatcher cutting the ribbon on the M25, and considering that she was hailing it as an incredible feat of British engineering skills, planning, design and construction, (laughs) it is the Prime Minister with some scissors, some rope, and then at the end she personally picks up a traffic cone and moves it towards the ITN cameras to get the road ready. It's it's not the launch of the Titanic, is it? She does look startlingly alone, but then she is on a massive, massive motorway, so that (laughs) might explain that. I was really struck looking at the photos as well, how, you know, there's a small coterie of drab looking 1970s people behind her <laughs> despite it being 1986 yes, they're still wearing they've those all, suits they've still got the, still <laughs> got the suits and you can see what colour they are even in black and white but there's like one policeman behind her and it's like she's not being yeah. guarded at all even though you know by 1986 she's, there's certainly plenty of people who had reason to dislike her but it was very lax well part of the reason why she was on such an abandoned area of this enormous highway was because of the controversy that surrounded the construction of the M25 itself and so the spot that they chose for the PM to walk was a quarter of a mile from the nearest bridge I presume because they must have been fearful that people would uh, you know unfurl banners or you know pelt her with fruit or worse well for those of you as well listening overseas who perhaps wouldn't understand why we would consider the opening of a motorway particularly significant an informative fact that you should know is that on that day shortly after the rope was cut by margaret thatcher <laughs> builders found a fault on it instantly and drivers couldn't travel on it so after they'd <laughs> opened it no one could go on it and that's quite indicative really of how most people's experiences of the m25 panned out <laughs> yeah it became known as britain's biggest car park you know not because it was always busted though that is a historical fact that lots of things have gone wrong al- along it ever since but basically because it became just swamped with traffic almost immediately one reason for that was that construction, had, as you can imagine, it was, a, it was a lengthy process to build it and it was built in stretches. But construction had actually begun in the early 1970s, which kind of had two effects, one positive, one negative. One was that it had been under construction for so long that it did build up a little bit of fanfare behind it. I know you were slightly dismissive of the fanfare at the beginning, Ollie. I'm a fanfare sceptic, <laughs> yeah. It was probably the last motorway project to catch the public imagination. In the 50s, you know, the, the construction of the M1 was seen as being this like, whoa, super highway that's going to whiz us from one end of the country to another. And even around the M25, mm. a 58-page commemorative booklet was issued for enthusiasts and coach trips were organised to do a ring of the new road. There was certain amount of excitement around it because there had been build-up. The downside was that by the time it had actually been finished, the traffic quickly exceeded the maximum capacity because, you know, needs had changed in the intervening years. And even in the ribbon-cutting speech itself, I read the transcript and it is relatively downbeat. Thatcher devotes quite a lot of time to the criticism around it. She says, mm-hmm. some people are saying that the road is too small. Do the voice, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Deeper. How does she do it? Some people are saying the road is too small, even that it is a disaster. I must say I can't stand those who carp and criticise. I mean, you are doing Gillian Anderson doing Margaret Thatcher. Yes, yeah, I am. That's resembling Margaret Thatcher, but well done. Just in memory, in commemoration of the fact that she was a grocer's daughter, she went on to put it in a slightly unusual analogy, saying. 
Indeed, some of their criticism puts me in mind of an old saying about Sainsbury's. The saying is, nobody shops at Sainsbury's because of the queues. Its popularity is a mark of its success, not of its failure, which you may notice is not how hmm. motorways work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sort of understand the point, though. I mean, it is true that it was obviously needed because it was designed to carry 100,000 cars a day and these days handles double that. So obviously mm. there was always need for a ring road in London. And in fact, you know, you talk about there being a long build-up. I mean, blimey, it depends when you go back to, because the Royal Commission first suggested a ring road for London in 1905. Yeah. And then in the 1960s, the proposal was for four concentric ring roads, the London ringways, they were called, plus a lot of radial routes in and out of the city. And some bits of those ringways are still with us now. So what was ringway two um, so if you imagine sort of a map of London, the, the inner ringway was Ringway Run. Ringway 2 is what eventually became the North Circular Road. And it's it's why the North Circular is good and the South Circular is bad, is because they never basically built the South Circular. <laughs> and what became the M25 was already there in chunks because parts of Ringways 3 and 4, as they were, had already been <laughs> built. And so the M25 joined it all together. So right from the beginning, this huge circle around the southeast of England was doing the job of four big roads. Yeah, but I mean, you say that there was the need and the need prompted the construction of the roads. My brother's a, an urban planner and I spoke to him about this very road and he said, you know, pretty much every major city on earth now has a ring road that goes yeah. around it. But the problem is that he directed me to this quote from Lewis Mumford, who was this American architectural critic and urban planner, who said, building more roads to prevent congestion is like a fat man loosening his belt to prevent obesity. And I think that's the thing, that the minute you build more roads, more people start driving on them. And that is certainly what happened with the M25 itself. And they kept trying to expand it, going wider and wider in sections of the motorway where they could. But the problem is that Again, the minute you build more lanes, more cars occupy them. So, yeah, it's just a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a cyclical problem, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Which has become the attitude of London town planners now, hasn't it? It's like anything they do on roads in London now is about minimising the amount of cars that come in, not trying to make it easier for them. That is the current trend in urban planning, that you try to dissuade cars generally, you try to make more bike paths and encourage mass transit and try to rid yourself of the plague of small cars which really have ruined cities everywhere. And that was the, the reason why the M25 was controversial as well, was because sections of it, even though they were occupying places where some roads were, other bits did involve major demolition. And the minute you start talking about knocking down people's houses to create big highways, they get pretty upset. And although the mentality in 1986 definitely wasn't geared towards minimalising city traffic, etc., this was apparently the first motorway project which took environmental concerns into account, which is kind of depressing that it was that late. There was something like 40 public inquiries. One of the most controversial stretches was supposed to go through part of Epping Forest, which is a vast and ancient, very beautiful forest. Epping residents parked combine harvesters in Parliament Square to oppose the proposed route. And eventually they ended up having to extend an underground tunnel so that it wasn't actually going through the forest above ground anymore. I quite liked the banner that was draped across one of those combine harvesters that read, not epping likely. <laughs> one of the unintended side effects of the M25 as well is that it gave a kind of concrete, literal concrete boundary to Greater London. Before then, you know, mm. if you lived on the periphery, you could kind of fudge depending on what your particular allegiance was. You know, do you live in Kent? Do you live in Essex? Do you live in 
in Greater London itself. And you couldn't really do that anymore once an actual, you know, ring road had been constructed around what was considered to be Greater London. And it's just enter the vocabulary now, you know, inside the M25 is a synonym for London and by extension, everything associated with London. Yeah, I mean, by the time of the Communications Act in 2003, the M25 is explicitly used in parliamentary Mm. language as the boundary. And for those of us who live in an area that's inside the M25, but that previously would have been thought of as Greenbelt countryside. So I live in South Hertfordshire. It's quite an existential threat because Mm. everyone who lives around here lives around here because I've got views of countryside all around me, but it's all precariously balanced on one like town planning decision away. And as (laughs) soon as you say the M25 is London... It just makes it that much easier, doesn't it, for, for someone, for some bod somewhere to say, yeah, we'll put 10,000 houses there because it's London. And you sort of you can mm. feel that in a, it's, it's sort of almost a pointless resistance fight because where I live now, all of this will be considered London in a century. It's just a question of getting to that stage, isn't it, because of that M25. It's also interesting to encounter those physical bricks and mortar, you know, things that came to delineate what London was at various historical moments, like... London Wall itself, which is right in the absolute yeah. dead centre, what we'd regard as the dead centre of London, which at one point was its outer extremity. Mm. Go another 200 years into the future, and I'm sure the idea that the M25 was the full extent of London will seem enormously quaint in itself. Yeah, because the whole country's just going to be called London, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Atlantic will be the ring road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next time... It's hard to articulate how you feel about it, but maybe like a head bursting open with flames coming out of it? Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.